good. Someone tell me what Lent is, real quick. What is Lent? What is Lent? What is Lent? We got a lot of work to do in here. Okay. What's Lent? Okay. Prayer, fasting, giving. What else is Lent? What? How long is Lent? Forty days. All right. Everyone's got to wake up. Everyone, like, shake your hair out. Do something. Ah. Lent. It's forty days of preparation for Easter to remember the death and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And for the next 40 days, we have put together a prayer book for you that you can find either on the website or on the Facebook page that we are going to equip you to read Scripture, to have focused times of prayer for the church and for the community of Mawa, and we are also challenging, challenging you to fast. For all of you who have been at the plant for some time, you know that fasting is a regular spiritual rhythm in our church, right? For some of you, when you began fasting, you just began with little things like Eddie Scherer, the first time he ever fasted, he gave up beer and meat. You guys can laugh, right? Isn't that pretty crazy? Like, hey, I'm going to stop drinking beer during, fa- during Lent. It wasn't like he was an alcoholic. He just enjoyed his beer. Okay, But now, Eddie, as he's seen God constantly working in his life, he's constantly learning that during these periods of fasting, he gives up things, trusting that God is going to speak into his life. And that's our hope. Our hope is that all year, 365 days a year, that you would be growing closer and closer with Jesus. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 30 years or you've been a Christian for two days or you're not even walking with him yet. My goal and our goal as a church is to equip you to know how God is constantly speaking in your life. And this is what I hear from two different groups of people. I hear from your Josh Pierce, and we'll just call him one classification because he's a whole classification to himself. In this... Josh had an enlightenment where God, for the first time two or three years ago, spoke loudly, shouted into his soul, and now he's just flying. And then I see other people who come to the plant that have had some kind of faith, some kind of walk. Maybe they were fully involved in a church and even, even an elder at some point, but they were so disenfranchised by either the church or not seeing Jesus speak that they stepped away. Those are really the two groups of people that we have here in the U.S. In my studies, that's what I've found. You have either people that are running after Jesus a million miles per hour, or you have people that are constantly stepping away from their faith. And for me, one of the things that I love about fasting is I actually hate it. I hate starving myself of the things that I love. I actually have a box of Twizzler in my office right now. Not one little thing of Twizzlers, but about 15 of them. They're kind of like my my chewing things. They're kind of like my smokes. Like, I'll eat Twizzlers all day long. But I've given up certain things over these 40 days, trusting that Jesus is going to speak loudly to my soul. And that's our hope. And that's the hope of really the global church. That during Lent, that we would take these seasons and we would stop. And we would begin to say, over these next 40 days, 
I'm going to look at Jesus more intently than ever before so that after Easter, my life is a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? After these 40 days, you should not be the same individual. If you truly dive into what Jesus has for you and you say, God, over these next 40 days, I'm just going to take one step closer. That one step is a game changer for most. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to bring up a word in Scripture that helps us to identify these divine moments that I believe that we see all throughout Scripture and that I want to teach you how to begin to recognize during the season of Lent. So turn with me in your Bibles first to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at two different passages of Scripture. Mark chapter 1, 9 through 15. I'm sorry for my scratchy voice. With the music really loud last night, I, had a, I don't really have a voice left over. Mark chapter 1, verse 19 through 15. It says this, One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son. And you bring me what? Great joy. Isn't that something that every son wants to hear from their father? I love you. And I see you and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. Notice that 40 days. 40 days of fasting in the beginning and today we celebrate 40 days of Lent. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Later on, after Jesus was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news, where John was arrested. And this is what Jesus said. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. And listen to what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is what? Is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. You see, as Jesus was traveling and he began his ministry, there was two objectives. That he would get people to see his life, hear his teaching, and truly identify that Jesus was the fullness of the kingdom of God. And then, secondly, that they would respond in such a way that they would make him Lord and Savior. That was the whole purpose. He lived, he walked, he ate among them. And whenever he did miraculous signs and did amazing teachings, there came these points that in his teaching, he had two things. One, that people would identify who he is, the fullness of the kingdom of God, Christ our Savior, our sanctifier, our healer, our coming king. But then they would believe that he is the Lord of all, the King of kings, the Prince of peace, the Almighty God, and that he was Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And that's all he desires. You see, but let's ask this. Let's be a little interactive this morning. 
When we think about the word repent, what do we think about? When we think about the word repent, do we think positive or negative? Positive? Good. Negative? Okay. Positive or negative? All right. But what do we think? What do we think about this word repent? Sin. What's that? I'm sorry. We feel sorrow. And yes, there's a lot of truth to that. But you see, let me give you a new definition of repentance that's actually biblical because part of our repentance is identifying our sin. But how do we ever identify our sin? It's first, repentance is actually first identifying who God is. Did you ever think about that? Then when you come to a place of repentance in your life, you're actually saying, I know that you are God. I know in my present circumstances that you are holy, holy, holy. Let me read to you this great definition that that a buddy of mine put together. Repentance is not feeling bad about your choices or actions. It is turning from a pattern of unbelief. It is turning from a pattern of unbelief and turning to belief in what is true of God and now of you. It is turning from your unbelief to a true belief of who God is and who you are and in light of Him. That's what repentance is. But what about belief? What do we think belief is? Someone tell me, when you hear the word belief, what does that mean, belief? Knowing something is true. What else? When we think about the word belief, what do we think of? Trust. You see, that's our Western mindset. Our Western mindset, not ancient, ancient thought, because that's where Jesus came from, right? Jesus came from ancient worldviews. We think of belief as knowledge. Belief scripturally actually means action, behavior. Let me read another definition. Belief is our response as we act out our new restored beliefs. You see, when you believe something, you act in it. When you know something to be true, what do you do? You take on that belief and you behave in your belief. You see, oftentimes we think about repentance and belief as just sorrow and I get it, right? We think about, we think about repentance and belief as I'm sorry and now I get it, okay? You proved your point, But in Scripture, it was never that way. Because when Jesus talked about repentance and belief, who did he mainly talk to? The sinners. The outcasts. And what he was always saying to them is, look at who I am. And then come and respond by how you follow. You see, there's two words in, in Greek, but there's actually three, but I'm only going to bring up two words. There's two words in the Greek about time. 
We think about time in the Greek word, and we understand this first is chronos. Okay? And this is why we're writing this now. This is why the blackboard is here. Chronos. Chronology. It's timing days, hours, months, years, decades, centuries. So when we look at the, a lot of times in life, we think about time as, okay, what's going to happen in the next four days? And that's all throughout Scripture. We hear about this about 40, 40 years in the wilderness, and we see this, this chronology of time. We see how many years it was silent. It was, it, God didn't speak for 423 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see all these different things that Jesus was in the grave for how many days? Three. Chronologically speaking, he was in the grave for three days. But there's also another word for time. Kairos. And that's our word for the day. Kairos. I'm not going to be corny and make you repeat it after me. Kairos. Kairos is brought up in the New Testament 90 times. So if something is brought up in Scripture 90 times, what does it have? It has some kind of significance that we're supposed to stop and say, okay, Jesus had identified this 90 different times. The apostles had identified this whole idea of kairos many, many times. And here's what the word kairos means. It is actually the meaning of divine moments. Divine moments that you can't put a day or a time or a number on, but all of a sudden, it's kind of like when we're worshiping and you feel the presence of God and God is saying something to you and all of a sudden, bam, you're like, what was that? It was a kairos moment. There are times in our lives that you can't put a day or an hour or a clock to or something you're just going to grow into and mature into, but there are times that we see in Scripture and we see in our lives that God just intervenes. And he speaks two things to us. Repent and believe. There are those moments that they're so loud to us that, that we're saying, man, I, I see God in a whole new light. And all I want to do is follow him. When you're in these moments of worship or you're in these moments where, where something happens and all of a sudden this peace that surpasses all understanding in you and you take a deep breath and you say, God is with me. You identify who he is and then how much more you trust him. Does that make sense? Take a second. When was the last time in your life that you had one of these moments. You see, oftentimes we think about these Kairos moments of having to be these grandiose ideas and these mountaintop experiences. And yes, that is true. But Kairos moments do happen in these, in these wows of life. But they also happen in the mundane. They happen in the joys of our life. But also in our sorrows. And here's what Kairos moments cause us to do. They cause us to ask two questions. First, what is God saying to me 
in this moment? What is God speaking to me right now? You ever have that, that when you're at work and you're freaking out and you're, and you're caught between something and you can either do the right thing or the wrong thing and just something pushes into you and you're saying, God is wanting me to do the right thing. You see, that's a Kairos moment. That's the beginning of the moment that God is saying, I want you to follow me in every area of life. You see, that's the first question. The second question is this. First, what is God saying to me in this moment? But the second is how am I going to respond? Because the way that we respond either pushes us towards Jesus or it pulls us away. Because it's in these Kairos moments that we we begin to believe and trust God for the future. Does that make sense? It's in these moments that when we recognize, God, I see you, I hear you, you're saying something to me, I need to respond. And when you respond to what he is asking you doing, to what he wants you to do, you're stepping one foot closer to the living God. And you're also allowing him to speak to you louder and louder and louder and louder. Because when you respond positively to the living God, the Holy Spirit speaks louder to us. Let's do an example. You want to do that? Let me give you an example in Scripture. Turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 43 through 51. This is one of my favorite callings of the disciples. Because oftentimes when we think about the calling of the disciples, we think about Peter and the fish when he can't pull all the fish up in like these wow moments. But I love the idea of the basic conversations that Jesus has. Where in the mundane of life, Jesus reveals himself for who he is. It says here in John 1, 43 through 51, Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Listen to what he says. Can anything good come from Nazareth? It is a lower class community. It is not Jerusalem. It is not a place of prestige. It's one of those towns that you kind of take the long way around. You really don't want to go into it. Not that you're going to get mugged or killed, but people are unfriendly. They're angry, and there's a lot of oppression. We know those communities. We kind of take the long way around. Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached Jesus, as they approached, Jesus said, and listen to what Jesus says in the everyday mundane of life. Here you have Nathaniel who is totally questioning his friend Philip. He totally disagrees that anything good can come from that run-down community. And Jesus says this, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity, 
How do you know about me, Nathanael? Asked Jesus. And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the, on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. You see, Jesus wrote the song, Stairway to Heaven, not Led Zeppelin. Okay? Even though I'm a Zeppelin fan. But here's a scenario. Nathaniel, a good Jewish boy, going to temple, going to synagogue, going to Jerusalem, sacrificing there, doing all the things. Baruch Alatasha Himumurei. Anyone know Hebrew here? It's a prayer. Praying and doing all the things over and over, all the fasts, all the celebrations, everything that he was doing as a good Jewish young man. And his anticipation was, yes, hopefully, God will step on earth and reveal himself. But deep down, let's think of this. God hasn't revealed himself in 423 years. Why would he reveal himself now? Why would God, especially the living God, creator of heaven and earth, come from a rundown village? Wouldn't he come in on a white horse and armor and shiny and jumping up and down? But here's what Jesus did. In the life of Nathaniel, Nathaniel was waiting, doing all the good, godly things. God intervened. And he says, you're a good man. You're a man of integrity. Nathaniel goes, how do you know me? Lucky guess. And Jesus said, I saw you. In other words, I see you. You see, for Nathaniel, that was his Kairos moment. And because of that, he was going to run after him the rest of his life to see the fullness of Jesus come to fruition. I mean, think about it. He's probably the first to really actually say, look it, he is the who? Son of God. And did he get on his face and say, I'm sorry for lying, I'm sorry for cheating, I'm sorry for taking money from my dad when I was little. I'm sorry for all these things. No. All he did was his repentance was recognizing who Jesus was. And his belief was following. You see, those are our Kairos moments. And the reason we have Scripture is to, to be not just our basic instructions before leaving earth. I mean, come on. That is so corny. It is the life story of the living God who wants to do the very thing that he did to Nathaniel. Step into our lives on a regular basis so that we step closer to him 
every single day. Do you know my first Kairos moment was at five years old? When I look back. Then I had a few more Kairos moments, 12, 13, and then I totally turned from my faith. Then in 1991, I had this huge Kairos moment where I recognized who Jesus was. And I said, I'll follow you. And that night, there was a lot of weeping of who I had become, but there were also tears of joy of who I would be. And then I had other Kairos moments. I had a Kairos moment when I met Sue. Ow! That was a Kairos moment. And then I had another Kairos moment with my son. Worst day of my life. When we found out how he had a disease. But God stepped in. And then I had another Kairos moment at Lake Champion when God said, I want you to go back to the pastorate. And I said, no stinking way. And then I had other Kairos moments with planting the church. Other Kairos moments with my kids. Other Kairos moments with my wife. Other Kairos moments as my dog drove me crazy. Other Kairos moments all the way through life. And even last Sunday morning, I had a Kairos moment during, during worship. Where I have been struggling with fear. I have felt that I've been just been strangled. You know, I, whenever you come off a mountaintop, doesn't it seem like that's when like the enemy hits you most? I come off this mountaintop of graduating with my doctorate, thinking like, man, I almost didn't graduate high school. And no less than 12 hours later, I just felt the enemy saying, you're a failure, you're a failure, you're a failure. And last Sunday during worship, this has nothing to do with the drugs I did when I was little. I've been praying of, to overcoming this fear that I am who God has created me to be and I'm going to let nothing tell me opposite. And during worship, believe it or not, we were singing that song always, Oh my God, He will not delay. My, res my rescue and source of strength, I will not fear. But in that moment, I swear on my life, I had this picture that I was just worshiping, doing the Rob thing, you know, a little swing with my hands up. And all of a sudden, I saw this picture of an army of demons on horses called fear. And it looked like it was stretched out this mountain, and I'm just like, and I'm standing there, I'm like, is there anyone behind me going to help me? This is all during a song. And I said, you know what? I'm sick of this. And as we're worshiping and no one knows what's going on in my soul, I pick up a spear as I'm worshiping. I said, God, I'm going to attack this. And when I went after that and I hit the first one in the chest, do you know what happened? He didn't fall off a horse. It was glass. And this little hole was poked in the glass and it started shattering around it. And God said to me, even though you walk through the valleys of the shadows, shadows of death, my rod and my staff will comfort you. And I remember looking at it that it was just a piece of glass and I pushed it over and I'm like, how am I going to preach this morning? And God said, your fears are lies. Your fears aren't true. 
and everything I put before you, you will accomplish. You see, that was a Kairos moment for me because fear was paralyzing me. Here is my hope that as we go through Lent, that you would begin to identify these Kairos moments. And that as you're going through the prayer book and as you're reading scripture and as you pray and as you're engaging with God, you're saying, I'm giving these things up. God would reveal himself. And you would see who he truly is. And you would believe and take one step closer. Teenagers, God wants to speak to you now. No matter how old you are, you want to look back in your life. No matter how you choose to respond, that you see God working constantly. Because when you open yourself up to it now, you set a course for God's voice to get louder and louder and louder. Amen? Listen to me. I love what I do because I love watching you guys get it. I love when someone calls me or sends me an email and they have their Kairos aha moments. That's all we are to do here is to teach you to know Christ and to respond. And your response is only going to make him known to others. So as we go to communion, and one of the things I'm trying to do is I'm, I really want to keep us, uh, I don't want us to go too late. As we go to communion, I want you to pray. Just say, God, I give you these 40 days. Speak. Help me be aware to the moments that you are stepping into my life.